A good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the ninth official installment of Bantering the Blue Shirts. I am your host, Joe Fortunato, joined as always by my co-host, Michael Murphy. And I want to just very quickly uh, send out an apology for the audio incident that we had last week. Uh, For whatever reason, Blog Talk Radio instituted a new software that cuts out the dead air in the beginning and the end of the show. And it's not for us. It was for everybody. And the software actually did that for every single pause in the show. So it wasn't just us. It was every podcast that was filmed or filmed that was recorded last Tuesday. But if you guys listened before they fixed the audio, it sounded as though myself and Mike recorded something and just made sure that there were no spaces. And now it's been fixed. So we went from 55 minutes to 44 minutes, 10 minutes of uh, excess comments and banter that you could not hear, but it, it has been fixed. So go back and listen if you haven't. And this episode, I have been assured, will not have any issues. So uh, that's a long-winded introduction. But, Michael, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. Are the, are the Rangers good this week or bad? Do we know yet? Uh, we don't know, actually, because they uh, they have not played this week. So it's up for the mystery. Last week was the positive podcast, and maybe the hockey gods are trying to tell us something by speeding along that recording that things were not going to be all fun and dandy. Uh, the Rangers did okay, actually, before that loss to Pittsburgh on Sunday. But, uh, Mike, I think you and I were looking at this week's podcast to be the kind of what's coming podcast for the Rangers. Uh, things are pretty much set for the most part. There's a few variables that we're going to get into for the Rangers that really hinge around home ice advantage. But it seems like the Rangers and the Penguins have are close enough to consider them locks for second and third place in the Metropolitan the Islanders might make things interesting and maybe even the Flyers, but um, I guess your thoughts on where the Rangers have been this past week, some of the things you liked, some of the things you didn't like, both you and I didn't see the whole Penguins game, but uh, any tidbit of information we know, Eric Stahl scored two goals. I watched some of the highlights. It looks like uh, Hayes had a really good game, which is a good thing to see, but Tanner Glass is still in the lineup. Oscar Lindbergh is still sitting. McElrath is healthy and he's not playing. So just what are your thoughts now that we can, speak freely rather than being bound by the positivity of the positive podcast. I think, you know, going three Oh and one in their last four games is a good thing. You know, there was, you know, kind of game in there with Canadians where it's a game that you had better win, but, uh, you know, the Panthers, the Bruins and the Penguins picking up five points against those, you know, three teams is not, not a bad, not a bad stretch of games there for the Rangers, especially with, now the now the focus has really become what the seeding will be in the division and in the conference. Um, I it's something I think that has uh, been a storyline because it's not been talked about much. But uh, how little um, box score production Eric Stahl has has had before the game against the Penguins, where as you mentioned, he scored two goals. So it was great to see him pick up those those goals, and um, you know he's. He wasn't having, you know, exactly a career year before the Rangers acquired him. But since being with the Rangers, there hasn't just hasn't been a lot of production, even though he's he's looked, you know, perfectly fine. Um, and of course, now it's uh, it'll be the story that we won't be able to escape from uh, MSG and and other analysis, especially NHL.com, that uh, it'll be Stahl's uh, game on the road 
in Carolina against his old team this Thursday. So that'll be fun. If we're staying in the realm of the positive podcast, maybe a little bit of forward momentum, if you will. After the disaster that was that West Coast trip that saw the Rangers blow the late lead to the Kings, get destroyed by San Jose, the Rangers beat Florida 4-2. to two. They beat Boston 5-2. to two. I'm, I'm not saying the Rangers are particularly dominant in either game. I, I think the Panthers game was quite a bit better than the game was against Boston. But the Rangers did beat two teams that they very well could face in the playoffs, depending on how far they go or where they slipped in the standings. The Rangers beat Montreal pretty handily, maybe not the way that you'd want to see the possession numbers go when you're looking at a Canadian team that pretty much laughs in the face of puck possession. But uh, I, I think the Rangers played a, a pretty good game against the Penguins. I saw most of the third period. I saw overtime. Uh, I got a little glimpses of the first and second. My Quinnipiac Bobcats made their march to the Frozen Four for the second time in four years. So that took a little bit of priority. But I think there's a lot of people out there that are saying the New York Rangers are coming around, that they're starting to push the pace a little bit more, that they're playing better. A lot of the AV defenders and the Tanner Glass defenders and the Dan Girardi defenders, the people that we seem to talk about a lot on this show are of the mind that the Rangers are turning the corner and that they've been holding back for the playoffs. And listen, that's all well and good. And if you want to believe that, that's fine. But I think the Rangers have uh, – there was a period of time where the Rangers were playing very good hockey and it wasn't in the beginning of the year when they were winning all their games. It was actually more towards the end when they were slumping in November where they were playing well and still losing games. The Rangers kind of fell into a trap. They came back a little bit. Now I think they've sort of settled to the surface, if you will, with what they are right now, which is not a great possession team that has a ton of forward firepower and, a shaky defense and an elite goaltender. And look, that's not the worst thing to go into the playoffs with, but that's certainly a far cry from what the Rangers used to be going into the playoffs with the past few years. And I definitely believe that there's a cause for concern that you shouldn't be overly optimistic about this group. But Mike, part of what we're going to talk about today is is the Rangers seemingly impending uh, matchup with the Penguins. And that doesn't seem like that's going to be too much fun considering the Penguins are one of the hottest teams in hockey the past few weeks, let alone actually the past few months. So uh, just your thoughts on are the Penguins really someone you want to run into come the postseason, even with Malkin out, they're red hot. Yeah. I think they're eight, two and eight, two and oh in their last 10. And since the all-star break, I think they've been one of, if not the best, team in the league in terms of record and possession. You know, they're up there with, you know, in terms of just tying together wins and playing better hockey. It's some such an afterthought now, but the start that Crosby had to the year was atrocious, especially by his standards. And, you know, whatever clicked for him with, uh, you know, with a coach behind the bench that we're all very familiar with, uh, being a former Rangers assistant coach, uh, Johnston, but um, you know we see, or John, but uh, we see, you know, a Penguins team without Malkin that just keeps on winning, and it's it's particularly fun to watch uh, Rangers social media react to it because of you know the presence of Carl Hagelin and the game he had against the Rangers in particular with that uh, play where he knew Hank's tendency with playing the puck and uh, put. Henrik in an awkward position, and Kessel scored a big goal on the rebound of that play. But uh, the Penguins are not a team 
you know, there's plenty of talk, and understandably so, and deservedly so, about not no one wants to run into the Capitals, and for good reason. But the Penguins are not exactly – if I was a team not the name the Rangers, I would be more scared of the Penguins right now than the Rangers. The Rangers have the edge in goaltending, but beyond that, I'm not sure where you would give them the edge. Uh, probably on paper they have better offensive depth, but, you know, the – the talent that's in Pittsburgh is is pretty scary, and you know Malkin may be out, but Latang's healthy, Crosby's healthy, and they're a scary team, especially on the power play. And you know, going eight two and zero at this time of year, I think the Rangers are five two and three in their last ten. Um, it's a scary team, and Flurry is Flurry still Flurry, and Crosby still Crosby. So, uh, what do you think the Rangers' chances would be if they met the Penguins? I think the Rangers are going to have a really tough time if we're being completely honest with whoever they run into. I think there are players that, or excuse me, there are teams that they match up better with. I don't think they're horrible matchups against Florida or even Tampa Bay, especially if Anton Stroman's out for a long period of time. I think the danger from the Penguins is ironically the Carl Hagelin acquisition because this year's Penguins are not all that much different from last year's Penguins which is a dominant top six. I mean, even more dangerous now when you think about the Kessel acquisition and that changes a little bit depending on whether or not Malkin is healthy for the playoffs, but they have a dominant top six and really not that much of a bottom six to be concerned about. But when Hagelin comes into play and you saw this when they played the the Rangers and they, they won in overtime, Carl Hagelin is a four check monster. And he's a guy that Mike Sullivan moved up to the top line to play with Crosby and Kessel He's a guy that he moved down to the third line to help with the forecheck, and he pretty much played him everywhere. And Haglund was a big part of the goal to tie the game for the Penguins. He was a monster all night, and that was the type of guy that the Rangers were throwing in and out of their lineup, moving up and down and doing what they had to do to get the wins. So this is no longer that Penguins team that doesn't have the bottom six that can do anything. This is a team that's quite a bit faster. You, I mean, you really look at their top three players, which is going to be Kessel, Malkin, and Crosby. Those are three of the elite players in the league. Spare me the nonsense about Phil Kessel being fat or lazy or not good enough. I know that he hasn't had the best of years in Pittsburgh, but as you've seen with the various playoff runs that Marion Gabrick has had, where he's been wildly successful with the Kings when they beat the Rangers in 2014, you don't need much to get hot in the playoffs. And the Rangers have run into these teams without their best players playing really well in Nash and whoever else it may be. But I have a funny feeling that Pittsburgh is going to be looking for blood, not that they wouldn't be anyway, but against a team that's beaten them two years in the past two playoff seasons and ended their season. And look, Flurry is a laughing stock sometimes, or is a goal you really need to worry about other times. There's a misconception that he did not play well against the Rangers last year. That's not true at all. The Rangers are winning games 2-1, 3-2, the Penguins just couldn't score and their top six wore down as time went on because so much pressure was put on Crosby and Malkin to do something. Well, now you have Kessel and now you have Hagelin. Now you have Kunitz and Latang is healthy. Like you said, Mike, there's a ton of variables that come with playing Pittsburgh. And I think one of them, and one of the most important things is going to be whether or not the Rangers locked down home ice advantage, because for the first time that I can remember, the Rangers are a dominant team at home and a mediocre team at well uh, on the road. The Rangers are 25-8-4 at home. They're 18-16-5 on the road. 
usually it's reversed. The Rangers are a really bad home team and a really good away team. So it does make me a little nervous that the Rangers may or may not lose their grip on this home ice advantage opportunity for the first round at least. But I think that's going to be a factor that's going to play a pretty big role in what's going on, uh, especially when it comes down to the little things that win a playoff series. That extra push, the extra goal that you need, maybe it's an overtime, whatever it is, there's no home field advantage like in football where the crowd noise impacts the play on the field. But there's certainly an aspect of playing at home, being more comfortable at home, and the Rangers seem to have grasped that. They have almost just as good of a home record as Washington does this year. So that's something that plays a pretty big factor, but I'm curious if you think that's as big of a deal as I do, Mike. Well, you know, it's well, before I say anything else, I think it's called Pittsburgh head coach Johnson and not Sullivan. I don't know where that came from. Um, but uh, I told them not to correct you in the chat. <laughs> I figured the chat was going nuts. Um, but, the, you know, like you said, the Rangers have, it's not, we're not used to seeing a Rangers team that's been as good as this team has been at home. And, um, you know, to pretend that it's not a factor, I think, is a mistake. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, well, what changes? Well, the matchup changes, you know, when, when a coach sends out his players, how he reacts to the other team, all that changes. And, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where if a team, you know, you know, the the players on the Rangers are aware of the fact that they're 25, eight and four at home. And that's something that's in their heads every time they step onto home ice. And if you don't believe in anything else, you should believe that that is very much a factor in, how they play and the end result of some of these games. So losing home ice advantage would be a big deal, which is why, you know, the Rangers have to try and finish as strong as they can here with, you know, with now less than well under 10 games left in the season. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it'll be interesting to see what Pittsburgh looks like and if they'll continue this, this, you know, the streak of really elite play, because that's, that's how they've been playing. They've been playing like an elite team. And I think you raise a good point about Kessel. Um, you know, when you look at his, just his, his basic stat line this year, it's, it's not exactly sexy or jumping off the page in terms of, you know, what the expectations were at the start of the year um, when he became a penguin. But, you know, he looked pretty damn scary from what I saw against the Rangers. And, you know, that's with, you know, without Malkin on his line and, uh, you know, if the Penguins have several players on that team that if they get hot at the right time, it's a nightmare for the Rangers or whoever they meet. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what it would take for the Rangers to get past the Penguins other than most likely just consistency and better play and making sure to not leave Dan Girardi out there against some of their, their top-end players because, you know, once again we saw a very exposed-looking blue lines and against and against a team like the Penguins, it looks even more dramatically exposed. I mean, now that we're allowed to be a little bit negative, as the positive podcast is in the rearview mirror here. But uh, I mean, I what are you looking for from the Rangers with with the road ahead? That you know, they have Carolina and Eric Stahl's exciting return to the Hurricanes, and then they have Buffalo, and then the next game after that is Columbus in uh, the first of back-to-back games and then Tampa. But it's three games that they really should win. What are you looking forward to with uh, how they're going to play against Carolina 
Well, I actually do want to touch on something before I get to that, which is the point you made about Kessel being on and whatever happens with the Penguins, if they have three players who legitimately, even if one of them is on their game between Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, it's a nightmare for the Rangers. And part of the problem is the Rangers don't have the defensive abilities that they did even last year. I think a big part of why the Rangers are so successful against the Penguins last year was because Ryan McDonough and a not yet totally off the cliff Dan Girardi were more than capable of handling and kind of wearing down the top six with even uh, Keith Yandel and Boyle. And there was no bottom six depth for Pittsburgh to kind of fall to, but all all their money was tied up in the top two lines. Yeah, exactly. And this year things are much different. The Rangers defense, especially with Stahl and Girardi, or just not anyone that you could truly believe in out there. And if one of those guys gets hot, or if one of those guys goes on a tear, how are you going to defend two of them? If you split up Malkin, Crosby, and Ketchel, not that they're going to be on three different lines, but they're probably going to be on two separate lines. You have McDonough and Klein on one of them, and then you have either Stahl or Girardi out with the other one. Not that they'd be playing together, but there would be some mix match of that with either Boyle or Yandel. I'm just not as confident in the Rangers as I have been in the past. And I think the way you get around a team like that is, well, you need to have elite goaltending. And that falls back into the the Rangers are going to have to really rely on Henrik Lundqvist to help them sneak through some of these series because, look, the Rangers have an offense that can outscore anyone in this league. I truly believe that. You have Rick Nash, you have Eric Stahl, you have Zuccarello, Broussard, Stepan, who's stepping it up, Hayes, Kreider, Miller. There are so many weapons on this team that the Rangers may have to be those guys that go out and outscore everybody and hope that Lundqvist cleans up the mess. But since the Eric Stahl acquisition, we have not seen those New York Rangers. We have not seen the team that's scoring five, six goals a night and just dominating other teams because they haven't had the puck as much. And Vigneault seems to be very happy with his fourth line. He seems to be very happy with Oscar Lindbergh sitting on the bench and Dylan McElrath can't crack the lineup. So there's opportunities there for him to make some switches that he's not. And I think this is the lineup that the Rangers need to, or Rangers fans need to be expecting in the playoffs because this group is not changing. Barring injury, this group is not changing. And well, that's Avoir a scary Green, thing. Yeah. I it's just, a, little, it's a scary heart. thing to think that we'll see a lineup where we're not seeing Girardi in a more sheltered role and we're not seeing – you know, Tanner Glass, you know, scratched in the benefit. Oscar Lindbergh, you know, eye test aside, and he looks perfectly good to any eye test for anyone who's watched any Ranger games this season. But his, compared to the rest of the team, his metrics are fine. He's a, he's a solid player that's very young and very useful. And the fact that Glass takes precedent over him in the lineup is just, it's baffling. Like, it's one of those things where, if nothing else causes concern for, for anyone with, uh, with Vino and the decision he makes, that decision alone should be enough to you know, raise a lot of flags. And uh, I think it's, it's a good point you make with, you know, that this might be the lineup that Ranger fans should get used to. This, we, this, is a, this might be what we see in the playoffs. And that's not necessarily the best thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some movement with, you know, searching for which forwards play with which forwards in the top nine, especially um, because it seems to be something that is still kind of settling. But um, 
it's a point you brought up about Lundquist is it's funny how we now just take for granted the fact that we expect Lundquist to steal series. We expect him to be so good that he changes the outcome of series, even if the team in front of him isn't playing up to snuff. I mean, make no mistake, the Rangers' success recently is almost all on the shoulders of Lundquist. And, you know, since he's returned, it's been, you know, he didn't look wonderful in his first game or two, but, you know, he, you can see that his game is coming back, which is good because it's good timing. But um, I don't know just how much the team can lean on him, especially early in the playoffs, and expect him to be on top of his game when the games matter most uh, if the team gets deep in the playoffs, which, let's be honest, that's what this team is designed to do. It's what it's supposed to do. And that's what it's become. Lundqvist is pretty much the saving grace in a lot of these games and the guy that the Rangers have been leaning on, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can't recognize that that's an enormous deviation from where the Rangers were even last year or, or two years ago, then I think that's part of the problem. And I think the Rangers' lineup decisions to this point is part of the reason why that's the case. Um, I am going to get to your point, Mike, as you just want to take. We've had two people that are on hold for almost the entire show. One of them is on hold since before the show. You've been on hold for 30 minutes. I apologize. 718 area code. You're on banter in the blue shirts. Who's this? You only get one guess. Oh, God. It can't be Dan's 10, can it? Hey. How are you doing, Good buddy? How's it going? Uh, it's going well, my friend. So uh, I guess you've been waiting from the beginning, but I'll, I'll throw you right into the fire here. Uh, Mike and I have been talking, as you know, about the Penguins and the matchup with the Rangers. Do you like that matchup for the Rangers? Do you, you think that there's something there for the Rangers to kind of move on, or are you nervous about it? I am not nervous about it. For the first time, it, it looks like it actually is a balanced, uh, a balanced uh, uh, first-round matchup. Um, Washington always gave us a matchup, but, you know, every time you turn around, you think Ovechkin's going to be the one to kill us, and it ends up being somebody else. Um, I'm just glad it's not Washington for the first time in a long time. But does Pittsburgh scare me? No, um, because Pittsburgh doesn't scare me, because Pittsburgh always presents the same type of team. I mean, we've beaten their talent. If the Rangers have done anything consistently, they've beaten their talent. You know, yes, they're deep in the top six. They were deep in the top six each of the last three times we've met up with them in the second round. We've met up with them dealing with them having Patrick Hornquist, who came in to last season's playoffs absolutely red hot um, and cooled off by the time he faced us. The same thing was the case the season before. So every time you turn around, you think about it, you're facing, you're facing Pittsburgh. You're going to face them with talent. Yes, the one variable this time around that may make a big difference might be the fact that, that we're staring down the barrel of, of a player who rode with us for four years and was a solid, solid player in Carl Hagelin. And maybe I'll throw in a second one. You touched on him already, and that is, um, that's uh, Kessel. And Kessel, yes, he comes into it hot, but you know something about Phil Kessel? Phil Kessel finds a way to warm up in the playoffs and right when you get him to the point when he's supposed to be a game six hero, a game seven hero, he shrinks. That's actually an interesting point, Dan. And uh, I'm, Mike, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. And Dan, I'm going to actually let you go because we've got a bunch of people in the hopper. I apologize, buddy, but Not I appreciate problem, guys. the call, man. Have, have a good night. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm kind of surprised 
Mike, you and I didn't touch on this. Do you think it's a really big deal or something that is an impactful situation for the Rangers that Carl Haglin is a guy who was in this locker room less than a year ago, who knows most of the guys on the team, is probably very familiar with the system, and who was in that room when the Rangers came back from 3-1 down in the series to beat the Penguins and was incidentally the guy who scored the overtime winning goal in game five last year. Do you think that's something that gets in the Rangers' head, or do you think that's even something that Haglin is using to his advantage over there? Because I'd have to assume it is. I mean, the Mike Sullivan thing, that doesn't matter to me. Sullivan hasn't been with the team since the Vigneault era began. He was the assistant coach for Tortorella, but the Haglin thing kind of mm. scares me a little bit. That's one of those things that's always, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about just how how valuable of an, that is to the Penguins to have Haglin in that locker room. You know, I, I don't it's one of those to be a fly on the wall imagining before that series where, you know, if Carl Haglin gets a chance to stand up in front of the dry erase board and say, well, this is how they play and this is how we'll beat them. That's what I think. But, you know, it's just how much of a factor it is or isn't remains to be seen. But what, what is important is that these are a lot of this team are players that Haglin is very familiar with and he's practiced with and against, you know, we saw, we saw him know to pressure Hank and use his speed. And was that just one example? Yeah, but it was a pretty telling example. Um, you know, playoff games, it's not uncommon to see them won, won by plays like that, where it's just a player making a great read. And what's so scary about Haglin in that Penguins lineup is that he's, as we know full well, is excellent at puck retrieval. And, when you have players like Kessel and Crosby, and for the most part, Haglund plays with uh, with Kessel, getting them the puck is half the battle. You know, you have to get them the puck, and he can do that. We saw him do that a lot with the Rangers. Um, do I think it's a factor? I think it's, it would be silly to pretend it's not a factor. It's just really a question of just how much of a factor it is or isn't. Uh, I, at the end of the day, I'm not happy that Carl Haglund's there. And it's not just because I still very much like him as a player and I'm still attached to him from his years with the Rangers, but because I know that he's the sort of player that gives the Rangers headaches. You know, he's, as you put it, you know, he's a four check monster. All, and the Rangers with how much they struggle to make that first pass out of their zone, a player like Haglin who can jump into passing lanes and have a stick that, you know, tips pucks and creates havoc and hell. Now, that's a player that can cause us a lot more trouble than we might think on paper. Well, you saw the goal that he helped create, and I know you mentioned it uh, with Lundqvist. I definitely think something like that comes from a little bit of familiarity. I'm sure he's been on the Rangers bench quite a few times or even on the ice when Hank has come out to play the puck and everybody's screaming, what are you doing? So something that he can take advantage of. I, I think, yeah, I sort of agree with you, Mike. I'm sure it's not like the old days of football where someone walks away and he's got the playbook and they're calling the plays before they're happening. But uh, there's definitely an aspect there. And look, he practiced with the team. He knows the deal. He knows the situation. He knows that when he's on the ice, if Dan Girardi's out there, he's got a speed advantage. He's well aware that Zuccarello likes to float around the back door and he's a pass first guy. And uh, maybe he's not totally sure about how Broussard is closing in on 30 goals this year, but there's definitely factors there that are going to come to play. And, look, one guy's not going to make all that much of a difference. You'd like to say, and I'm knocking on wood as I say this, because knowing that it'll 
be exactly what happens, but I, I do think there's something to be said for a guy who was in that locker room less than a year ago, now going up against these players and probably wanting a little bit of revenge. Haglund's been quoted as saying that he wanted to stay with the Rangers. He always thought he was going to be with the Rangers. There was never a real negotiation between the two sides, and that's frustrating, and that's unfortunate when it comes to a guy like that. Uh, I want to take another caller. We got 203. There's two of you waiting, the one who's been holding for 30 minutes. You are up first. You are on Banter in the Blue Shirts. Who's this? Well, this is I can't spell good or Matt in real life. What's Hi, guys. going on, Matt? How are you? How are you, bud? Um, I'm doing very well. Um, I wanted to make a couple of comments about uh, Dan's words on facing the Penguins in the first round because I agree Pittsburgh is definitely a team I'd be concerned with. I think someone was pointing out that they're one of, if not the highest rated, I guess like highest in – they have the best possession metric since the trade deadline. But I'm not resorting just to analytics for my the Rangers concern have one with of the, the team. What it's, yeah, what it's worth. The they're, they're, I think they're in the bottom three. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, knowing the Rangers. Anyway, I am concerned about Pittsburgh, but for slightly different reasons than Dan's. I'm not mm-hmm. too concerned about the Carl Hagelin issue because Hagelin is a good player, but I don't think he knows you know, the books on everyone. I mean, he might be familiar with a bunch of the core players you know, cause that, that he's played with. Zuccarello, I know he had chemistry going with. Broussard, there was definitely a chemistry thing. Stepan, some of the guys who have been around there for longer, but I look at Keith Yandel as someone who's um, a major asset on – well, I mean, he's – even if he's not always utilized that way, he's certainly a major asset on the power play and even on even strength. And I don't think he knows Yandel's game as well as he might know Rosario's game and Stahl certainly as well since he is, he doesn't have that advantage. My my point being, I don't think that the end of knowing how the players play is a huge advantage, like a, a deciding advantage. I'm more concerned about the fact that this Rangers team entering the playoffs isn't the same one that has entered the playoffs in the past. Dan's mentioned that you know it's they've got the, they've got the exact same thing, which I think is true. They're bringing a top six heavy team with you know the with Chris Letang, your your offensive defenseman, and they're lacking a lot in the bottom six. I think that the reason we were able to beat them in the past is because we had a better team. I don't think this is the same team. I think that, you know, in years past, we've been the fast team. I've noticed when watching the playoffs that speed is a huge deciding factor. The faster team is usually the one that wins. I look at last year's playoffs. When we played the Penguins last year, we were the faster team. That's that's why we won. When we played the Capitals last year, while it was much closer and much scarier, I still believe that we were the faster team and that Washington was trying to play the more physical game, and that ended up being the deciding factor. When I look over to the West, I see Chicago playing a faster game than Anaheim. Anaheim played very physically, and I think that speed is more important to have. And in especially you know, uh, 2014, the Rangers were probably the fastest team in the NHL, and I that's definitely not the case this year. We you lose a guy like. Hagelin, and I'm I'm worried about Pittsburgh having Hagelin not because of his knowledge of our system, but rather because of the fact that he's such a fast player. And Mike Sullivan hmm. is making the Penguins play such a fast game, and we all saw that on display when they played uh, when when Pittsburgh played the Rangers. They played with an extremely high amount of energy. Yeah, and that's something it's that fun I to think... watch. I guess. Yeah. 
I think we, we probably don't talk enough about, and Matt, I, I want to thank you for the call. You're uh, one of the, the frequent callers and the, the frequent listeners of the thank show. You. And Matt was uh, very kind enough to do a little bit of advertising for uh, Blue Shirt Banter for his high school's musical. What was it? Beauty and the Beast, you had said? Yep, we're doing uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. So I appreciate that. So some kids out there will be yep. reading an ad by uh, Blue Shirt Panther. It's awesome. Thanks, Matt. Um, the the point that he made about speed, I think, is a really important one because that has been a place where the Rangers have been a lot better than people gave them credit for. And the Phil Kessel fat stuff makes me laugh because Kessel's actually a, a pretty fast player. Uh, He's a very fast not, player, yeah. The, Crosby's the, not the slowest the, the, guy in the league. Malkin's probably not the fastest, but he's just a, a bull. And Haglin adds a lot of speed there, too. And part of the allure of guys like Latang and Yandel isn't just that they can move the puck, but they can move with the puck. And there's a huge difference there. So to Matt's point, there definitely is something of uh, an imbalance between what the Rangers were against the Penguins last year and what the Penguins are against the Rangers this year, if that's the matchup. But here's my retort to that. It's something I really didn't think of, but I think it plays an important role. Yandel was not healthy last year. I think he was injured in like the second game of the playoffs against the Penguins. He separated his shoulder and he he played through it. Um, Mm. Zuccarello obviously took the very scary injury against the the Penguins when Ryan McDonough shot hit him in the head and all that. That was terrifying. That played a huge role. We don't know when Dan Girardi got hurt. We don't know when Mark Stahl got hurt, but let's assume they did not get injured in the Penguin series. The, or excuse me, Ryan McDonough. He was the one who had the broken foot. And I, I think that was uh, in the series against Tampa Bay. But the Rangers fully healthy against the Penguins fully healthy definitely makes things a little bit different. It's not so apples to apples as it was last year, but do you think a healthy Keith Yandel and a, a healthy Max Zuccarello, I don't want to ask if it's going to make a difference because that's obviously a really easy answer. But do you think that it's going to make a, an enormous difference in the way the Rangers are going against the Penguins since they have Phil Kessel and Carl Hagelin and they're that much faster and they're that much deeper? Oh, before I share my opinion, I had a, the point that Dan's brought up is, and it's now become kind of what we're talking about is the factor that Phil Kessel is for the Penguins. And as you pointed out, you know, there's lots of fun with, oh, hot dogs, he's chubby, ha-ha. You know, Kessel, we haven't seen Kessel play NHL playoff hockey since 2013. And in 22 games in in the NHL playoffs, he has 21 points and 13 goals. I mean, sure, you know, he may have not not gotten the job done when he was the guy on the team, especially Toronto in uh, in 2012, 2013 when they were there. Reaching beyond their bounds anyway. So the Toronto stuff, I don't didn't mean to cut you off, but Toronto was a team that was overreaching. They were horrific. All their underlying numbers were terrible. They were a team that was getting a ton of puck luck. And then much like people who are watching the Rangers now or a guy like Kevin Hayes or Chris Kreider, when they're playing really well and the puck doesn't go in, people are ready to crucify them. So I don't really look at Kessel's work with the Maple Leafs as anything ironclad to say, oh, he was really not good. But to your point, 13 goals in 22 playoff games is a big deal, but continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. And the, I think something that's important to keep in mind here is that with the Penguins, there's not that much pressure on, on Kessel to be the guy that gets everything done. I mean, when you have a team that has Crosby and Malkin on it, 
you know, you're expected, of course, to score and to get shots on that. And he's he's done that, although, you know, he hasn't certainly scored as much as they might like him to. But he's uh, having someone like Phil Kessel in your second line is terrifying. And, you know, if, if he can get going, and it's not just the fact that he has speed and he's another offensive threat, but it just, when the Rangers have the issues that they have with their defensive pairs and with looking exposed and overmatched, um, as they often do, we see it every game. You know, we see bad plays um, and bad decisions made by players who are having bad years. And those are terrible things that happen in the playoffs. And when you make those mistakes, when guys like Phil Kessel or Crosby are on the ice, pucks end up in the back of your net. doesn't matter how good Henrik Lindqvist is. Um, but to get to uh, the point you asked, I think a healthy Keith Yandel and Matthew Grillo are, will be a huge factor, not just for the obvious reasons, but something that really stands out to me is just how well Keith Yandel has played of late. Um, I think that it, he's played so well now that, you know, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but even Elaine Vigneault is taking notice of just how good Keith Yandel is. And, you know, you wrote, you know, an article or two about just how special of a player Keith Yandel is and what he can bring to this team. I mean, some of the, the, the passes he's making, you know, the points he's picking up and leading the team in assists, you know, a lot of these are primary assists that are the sort of assists that create goals. They're amazing plays. And Tied having a healthy, yeah, having a healthy, confident Keith Yandel on the blue line, especially on the power play, you know, the question of what sort of time and matchups and, what sort of role he plays at even strength is very much a question mark. But when the Rangers go on the power play and the reason the power play, I think has started to look so good is all about Keith Yandel. I mean, with all the playmaking forwards, the Rangers have, and they have an abundance of them. Nothing is as important is as important as having a guy in the blue line who can actually make things happen. And, you know, the same can be said with, you know, a healthy Zuccarello and how important that is. You know, we know that he's not, still feeling 100% like his old self, which is a scary thing to think. But uh, he's had a great year. And a healthy Zuccarello is is nothing but good news for the Rangers. I, I don't know, you know, when we can if – we, if we erased all the injuries and just compared the teams, you know, apples to apples and tried to get an idea of which team is better at which area and which team has better depth and all that, I think it would be a pretty long debate. But – um. I think that it's a little too easy for people to overlook just how important and dangerous it is that the Penguins this time around have Phil Kessel. And I know he hasn't been sensational this year in the games against the Rangers. You know, he's he's been okay. He hasn't been amazing. But if you make the mistake of forgetting that Phil Kessel is one of the best players in the league, you'll soon remember it in the playoffs because he's, he's a guy you can't, you can't overlook or make mistakes against. I mean, you know, I don't know how many times we're going to talk about that Haglund play, but, you know, he scored that goal. You know, he he makes things happen. And him and Haglund are on the same line with all that speed. So, you know, when they're on the ice with someone like Chris Letang, who can make the sort of plays that we see Keith Yandel make with amazing breakout passes, you know, it's a recipe for bad news for the Rangers. It is scary, uh, probably scarier than it was last year, but this is why the playoffs are so hard. Other teams are really good. The teams that make it are really good. 
the other 203 caller who has been holding, I apologize. You are unmuted and on the air. Who's this? Uh, hey, Joe and Mike. Uh, it's Iowa Green. Uh, my name's Dan. Uh, calling in again a little earlier, actually, but we're kind of down to the wire here. Yeah, no, I, um, I screwed you on this one. He he got cut off last time by the uh, on the positive podcast by the cutoff. And uh, I left him on hold for 17 minutes. But go ahead, my my friend. How are you doing? What do you want to talk about? Uh, good. I'm doing well, you guys. Uh, if you'll allow me to go off topic for one brief moment, just wanted to oh congratulate God. you, Joe, uh, and your boys. Quinnipiac uh, uh, making the Frozen Four again. I sincerely hope that they beat BC. Um, me too. But, this isn't uh, allowed uh, deviation from the plan. I I appreciate this. Any any Bobcat fan, whether you are an alumni like myself or you're just rooting for them against Boston College, we accept all type of bandwagon fans. So thank you. Yes, exactly. I am in the latter camp. Um, unfortunately, my alma mater got destroyed by Denver, but that's not important right now. Um, <laughs> getting back to Rangers talk, I uh, just wanted to make a, a few points. Um, going back to the the, the Haglin point, um, how much of an impact that you know, his knowledge or him in the room with the Penguins, uh, if we're assuming a, a first-round matchup here. Um, I, I mean, to be honest, I obviously I would say that that doesn't have zero impact. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure guys are asking him uh, about certain players or the system uh, because he was in it uh, just as recently as last year, and I'm sure a lot of them remember uh, him being the one that dagger in them. But, uh, I mean, if if I was a Rangers fan uh, or even a Penguins fan, I, I would be infinitely more worried about, you know, the state of our defense than um, any impact that Carl Hagelin's knowledge is going to have on that room. And uh, um, that kind of feeds into the uh, the home ice argument uh Whereas, you know, we're saying some teams, you know, see us roll, whether it's Yandel and Girardi or McDonough and Girardi out against Crosby or even uh, if we assume Malkin is back, the Malkin line. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and looking at that matchup and saying, okay, yeah, we'll take that uh, any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Uh, so um, that, that's uh, an, another point of uh, concern on my mind. I know we're not really sticking to the positive point. Um of last week, uh, and uh, my my final point was that uh, you know right the the suspense team obviously Fleury's still in net. You still got Crosby, Latang, uh, the the usual cast of characters up front with um, a few new faces with uh, Kessel and Hagelin. But um, uh, you know it, it, it's commonly tossed around that uh, right they're top six heavy and the bottom six is kind of uh, you know also rands in a way. But one thing that at least and maybe this is the, the pessimism coming through here is, that sticks out in my mind is that, that, yeah, that bottom six roasted the Rangers a, a few games ago. And uh, obviously that's not going to happen every night. And you certainly hope that they shut them down. But, you know, right, it's a seven-game series. And, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that that bottom six is a, a fair bit better than the one that they iced last year. And, I, you know, that's obviously not the concern given the uh, – the guns that they're running up front and the uh, the deteriorated state of the Rangers' defense, but um, yeah, you know, it, it, volumes it, it could matter. The Rangers' defense as a whole—that that's something that did happen, and I, I think it's very fair to say that that's something that would not have happened two years ago or even last year. Uh, I think we started to see the beginning of the Dan Girardi's uh, inability to keep up with some of the speedier players in the NHL in last year's Eastern Conference Final, but I definitely think that 
that's something that should play a role. Thank you for calling in. Uh, I appreciate it. Next time I, I will not leave you on hold for 17 minutes and run you right up to the end. Um, we are about to get kicked, but I do want to, someone's been holding uh, eight, four, five. You might not have a ton of time, but just wanted to get you on the air. Who's this? Yeah, Joe. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's Antoine. I don't have much time, so I'm just going to throw a quick question out here. So we were talking about playoff seating. I was going to post the question. Do you think it would be advantageous to the Rangers? Obviously, they're not going to purposely lose games, but do you think they'd be better off to fall into the wild card and end up matching up with whoever wins the Atlantic, whether it be Boston or Florida, whoever it ends up being? Just going to throw that out there before I get kicked off. So you actually, I don't know if you're going to get kicked. You might, you might not. This is a... Uh, Vermette, as those of you who know on the uh, the website, he's a good guy, one of the smarter guys, I would say, on the uh, on the website. I'll give you a little bit of props here on the radio, but um, that's a really good question, and that's actually something that we debated, uh, I think, on in the comment section more than anything else. Was does it actually work out for the Rangers when we were talking about how lucky the Rangers are getting and how much? the puck was bouncing their way and what they were doing when, even though they were losing and they were falling down, does it benefit them to play a team like Florida or Tampa Bay or Boston who are Florida and Tampa Bay are both tied in points. Um, Florida has far less regulation or overtime wins, but they also have a game in hand. Boston is only five points behind them. So they're probably a crapshoot to make it. But do I think that the Rangers match up better against Florida or Tampa Bay? Um, Florida, yes, because of the inexperience. Tampa Bay scares me because Ben Bishop scares me, and I think they have a lot of players on that team that are not playing as well this year that could wake up in the playoffs, Stamkos and the like. And, you know, I just – I hate going up against the Ryan Callahans of the world and the, the, the Brian Boyles, and that's not a bad team down there in Tampa. But I, I do think that might be a little bit more of a favorable matchup than Pittsburgh, especially if Anton Stroman's out long-term because – that defense mm. is, is very scary. Mike, I'm actually curious your thoughts on that. I know you and I – well, actually, Anton, let me get your thoughts because I think you might get booted. What do you think about that? Um, I really think it depends on the matchup. Because like, the way they're playing right now, I want to avoid Pittsburgh desperately. I don't know if they're going to get Malkin back, but if they do, they're going to be even that more dangerous. Islanders, they're not that good like comparatively, but I don't know, just every time, I hate to use terms like this, as I'm sure you know by how uncommon, but I feel like they get up for every game we play against them. They're just better than what they do every time we play against them. Play down to their level Um, and whatnot, and Halak obviously makes a big difference there, too, whether or not he's healthy, but yeah, I I can see that. Go on. Uh, Philly, I don't think they're much of a factor. They're playing better, but I don't think they're going to be able to sneak up to the number three seed. I think they're going to stay in the wild card. And for the Atlantic teams, Boston, usually they're a bad matchup for us, but I think we've played relatively well against them, and they're not as good as they've been in the past. So they could be a good matchup once you get past the fact that Stemniak's just going to score every game. Tampa without <laughs> Strawman, that's tough. I don't know. They're still a good team without Strawman, but they're obviously not as good. So maybe if Hank does his thing, he can drag us through that series. And Florida, has, even though their record says they're good, I don't think they're a particularly good team. Longest playing well, yes. They made some nice moves, bringing in Hoodler, Kindle, Purcell, but they're not that great of a team outside of their core, so I think we could take them. A lot of shootout wins, which I think has become common for uh, these Florida teams, but seven shootout wins, just by my glance, that is by far the highest of all the playoff teams, and it looks like the highest in the East. 
Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, would you rather face those teams uh, or would you rather go up against the Penguins if you had your choice? Well, if we could face Boston if they had home ice advantage, that would be great considering they're 16, 17, and 5 at home this year. But uh, I think it's a dangerous game in, in, uh, in just in real-world terms to think of tanking to get to the wild card. Um, I don't think playing purposely to lose is always the best idea right before playoff hockey. Um, I don't think with that said, all, but go on. Yeah. With that said, um, I do think that they match up better against those teams in the Atlantic than they do against Pittsburgh. But, you know, who knows when, you know, when Malkin got hurt, I think the news came out on the 12th. I, I looked it up while we were talking, you know, he's six to eight weeks out. So, you know, whether or not he'll even be a factor in the first round is, is a big question mark. And, you know, if he is there, will he be at a hundred percent and, you know, Evgeny Malkin's not at 100%, and he's still a scary player, but he's not Evgeny Malkin. So um, would I prefer one of the teams in the Atlantic over the Penguins? Absolutely. But I'd also very much want the Rangers to play and try and spend these last few games figuring out the things that seem so obvious to some of us, which are lineup decisions and defensive pairings and making the right decisions with who's dressed and who's scratched. And that's what I'd like to see in these last games as opposed to trying to, to adjust and maybe not play at 100% and save something for the playoff because I don't think it's the most con, like constructive thing to do uh, before playoff hockey, which is play to lose. Yeah, I don't think, just to clarify, either Antoine or myself were uh, uh, I don't know, advocating for the Rangers to lose uh, their way down there, but maybe if they did. I mean, the thing that concerns me when you look at a playoff matchup is elite goaltending. Elite goaltending should be avoided at all costs if you can. Washington has yeah. Holpe, who's obviously one of the best goaltenders in the league. The Rangers have Lundqvist. Tampa Bay has Bishop. Boston has Rask. Florida has Roberto Luongo. Uh, the Philadelphia, if they make it, has Steve Mason, who's much better than advertised. I don't. I wouldn't put Halak in that category, obviously. And uh, I'm not even mm-hmm. sure who the starting goaltender is for Detroit with all this back and forth. So I'm going to leave them out of it for now. But there's really no place to go where you can avoid that potential monster goaltender who has an unbelievable run and knocks you out of the playoffs. And for so long that has been Henrik Lundqvist. And I think it's been Henrik Lundqvist because a, he's just that good. And B the Rangers have had a very good possession team slash reasonable defense in front of him. But this year you don't have the reasonable defense or the good possession team. So Mm. how much is that going to get exploited? I mean, I yeah. get it. Flurry is a Stanley Cup ring, and he's a guy who can certainly turn it on. And I, like I said before, last year was definitely one of the better Mark Andre Flurry goaltending series for the Penguins. But that's something you need to look at. And when goals are so hard to come by, and for the Rangers, goals are hard to come by right now. Uh, and keeping goals out of the net are even harder to come by. It's a different story when everything's working. And last year, the Rangers won 2-1 games against the Penguins. I don't think the Rangers are going to win a lot of 2-1 games in the playoffs this year. I'm sorry. I, I see the Rangers winning a lot more 4-3 games, uh, even 5-4 to four games or 5-3 to three games, because I don't think the Rangers are going to be able to keep the puck out of their own net. And I do think the Rangers have an offense that is capable of outscoring other teams. I'm not sure if they're going to be capable of outscoring Washington. I'm not sure if they're going to be capable of outscoring Pittsburgh, but I know they can hang with them. And that's something that we have not seen yet. And I don't want to put blame on Eric Saul because I don't think it's his fault. 
Um, I think there are some players who are coming off injuries, Nash being one of them, who are kind of coming into their own. But the Rangers not playing their best players and not dressing their best lineup, and this comes on uh, Elaine Mignot. I'm sorry, but we keep talking about it. It's obviously important. Uh, I just think that that's a big factor, too. So I don't know if there's a right answer. Every team that the Rangers could play in the playoffs scares me. I think Florida scares me the least, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't be a tough matchup. And that doesn't mean that Yarmir Yager would go all 1996 and all of a sudden turn into that guy who can score 12 or 13 goals in the playoffs again. I don't see that as something that's out of that realm of possibilities. So, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add, Vermet, before I, uh, I let you go and Mike and I sign off? Uh, just one more thing. What are we got? Six games left? I don't know. I just think it's interesting with how the playoff race around the NHL is taking shape. you got Philly making a late run. They're a fun team to watch. Do the Rangers play them again this year? I don't think so. I think they're done. No, I no, the no, no. schedule up. I put it down. No, they don't play them again. That's uh, so yeah. Just going to say, love watching the playoff race this year. Happy to not really be a part of it since we haven't clinched yet, but we're a few points away. Yeah, just good around the NHL. Good to see games are still competitive into March and early April. So that's all I got. Well, thanks for calling in, buddy. I, I appreciate it. You yeah, should, thank I you. know you were you were mulling it over the past couple of episodes. I'm glad you did. Uh, you could have called in during the positive podcast, but we, we won't hit you for that too hard. Um, so I, 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 that's a, it's a weird topic to talk about because – you never want to ask for a team in the playoffs because that's the team that's going to beat you. But yeah, yeah, that's the way it works. But, but he is kind of right. Um, I'm in the fact that it's sort of nice not wondering whether or not the Rangers have made the playoffs. And that's a luxury that this team has afforded its fans for the past three years. This one included that never used to be the case, but I really do think that, the mentality going into the playoffs this year is a lot different than the mentality was going into the playoffs last year um, or even in 2014. Uh, anything else you want to add to those, uh, those thoughts, Michael? No, I, I definitely, uh, I echo those thoughts. It's not just from following the team and analyzing, analyzing them all year long, but I think that the expectations at this time of the year are a lot different than they've been the last few years. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that plays a factor, I think, with what the team looks like in the first round. Um, I'm hoping to see that we, you know, we see a Rangers team that finishes strong and especially in these next three games against teams that they really need to beat, that they look good, that they, you know, play like they did with, you know, putting up four or five goals against teams that they should be capable of doing that against and, maybe get some guys who need to start scoring, feeling better about themselves and things like that. But uh, I guess that's just something we'll have to pay attention to with these, these uh, next three games. Yeah. And there's, I mean, the Rangers have pretty much have a playoff spot locked up again, knock on wood, but that doesn't mean that things can't change. And you want to go into the playoffs on a high note. You don't want to back in. You don't want to be a team that got smacked around leading up to the playoffs. It's, it's just not beneficial for the mentality of the game. So this week, I think, is a little bit more important than people are probably giving it credit for in their heads. But, yeah, that's yeah. It's, this, was, uh, this was good. It wasn't as positive as the positive podcast, but it also wasn't all that negative. And 
look, this is what it is. This is the team. Mike and I can, uh, I don't think we're being negative on purpose. It's just the reality. You have to talk about what the team is doing and what the team has become. And there's aspects to this that are frustrating. And there's aspects to this that are really cool. We didn't even get a chance to talk about JT Miller joining the 2020 club or Chris Kreider looking like he's going to break out or Kevin Hayes breakout game against the Penguins, let alone Eric Stahls. But the, this is sort of the look ahead episode next week, hopefully when we have a little bit of a better idea of who the Rangers are playing and we can kind of run around it that way. We could look at some of the players that are on the upswing, but um, yeah. So I want to once again, thank everybody for listening, for downloading, for subscribing, please, 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 please subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a nice five-star rating, leave a nice comment. And then you can mail in a voucher for a free hug from Mike. If you listen to us on blog talk radio, please subscribe to us there as well. But the more people that subscribe rate and leave comments on iTunes, the more uh, we go up the charts and then people can find us and they more Ranger fans come to the website and they come to the podcast and it, it just grows the empire, which is nice. You can find myself at blue shirt banter where I am the managing editor. You can find Mike at blue shirt banter as well, where he is an editor he is the managing editor of BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters, which is our New York Riveters subpage. He is also on today's Slapshots, and he is at Twitter.com slash, well, actually, at DigDeepBSB, not just DigDeep. It's DigDeepBSB. Um, yeah, Mike, anything to add for the, the fine people? Uh, well, I think, you know, we talked about how this slipped a little bit from the positive podcast, but I think something I always want to point out is, that, you know, when a lot of the, the negative things like, oh, you know, what do we do about this or that? And Oscar Lindbergh's out of the lineup. The, the potential for a lot of these problems to be fixed to the extent that they can be fixed is there. And if nothing else, yes. the Rangers may be a lucky team with an elite goaltender, but they're also a team that wins hockey games. And they're not in the playoffs for by mistake. You know, they, they are a playoff team. And a lot of that might have to do with the fact that they have Henrik Lundqvist and, you know, have gotten some some fortunate, you know, with the, the PDO, <laughs> amazing PDO run they had this year. But, you know, this is still a team that I think we deserve to be excited about and to expect good things about. You know, they're not they're not second in the uh, the Metropolitan by by chance alone, I guess. But uh, other than that, all I have to say is let's go Rangers and thanks for listening. Yeah, George uh, George fifty who uh, BSB for 50 blue shirts uh, fan for 50. He is the moderator on blue shirt banter called into the positive podcast last week. And that was his thing is there's nothing like playoff hockey and there's nothing like going to a hockey game at Madison square garden. It's exciting. As down as I am on where the Rangers are versus where they could be. uh, I cannot tell you how excited I am for playoff hockey because there really is nothing like it. And there's nothing like playoff hockey at Madison square garden. Honestly, there's not. Uh, if I did not mention it, you can also read Mike at today's Slapshot where he writes about the uh, NWHL. Um, this podcast hit it an did. hour. You're adorable, is, but it's fine. That is 15 minutes of bonus podcast. Or excuse me, it's actually, yeah, 15 minutes of bonus podcast that we were giving you in the Tony-esque idea of uh, having to download us to pad our numbers. So thank you all so much. Please subscribe to iTunes and leave us nice numbers there. Uh, We will talk to you next week. Good night.